have a time when you were really, really hungry. Remember how that felt? You know, we've never experienced a famine. Instead of not having a couple of meals that left you very hungry, imagine what it would be like not having enough food available every day for days, weeks, months, or even years. Maybe you didn't know that the saints in Jerusalem were poor and there was a famine in the land. Many were suffering with the effects of this situation and Paul was collecting funds throughout the young church to help them. Think of it as a fast offering. In our study today, he focuses on principles of giving to those in need. We're in 2 Corinthians this week, chapters 8 through 13. So to give to others is a basic Christian response when seeing others in need. Keep your vision of this big. Need may not just be temporal things such as food or money, but may also be needs of the spirit. Perhaps someone's discouraged or depressed. Perhaps someone feels weak and overcome with weakness. There are many ways people may be in need. Paul teaches to give with a cheerful heart. In verse seven of chapter nine, he states, every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So let's go back in time actually before many of you were even here, we had a health crisis in our home and there were many hospital stays in our family. Because we were all affected in one way or another, there were many, many needs and the Relief Society stepped forward to help. There were meals brought in, laundry done, cleaning done, childcare offered. It was amazing to be on the receiving end of cheerful givers. There was one particular individual, though, who seemed willing to help, but not very cheerfully. She often fussed at the children about their messy rooms and seemed irritated by the entire situation. She worked hard and offered a great deal of help, of which we were so grateful. But consider, though, which helper lifted us up from our discouragement the most, the ones who were cheerful or the ones who were grumpy? Do you see why Paul taught to offer service cheerfully? We have times of need, but we also have times of abundance. And Paul teaches that when we have much, we should cheerfully share with those who have little. He states, now therefore perform the doing of it. So in other words, don't just think about it, actually do it that there was a readiness to will. So there may be a performance also, also out that of that which you have. <clears throat> For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that man, what that man hath and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by equality that now at this time of your abundance may be a supply for their want, and that their abundance may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. In 
In Doctrine and Covenants 64:34, it states, And behold, the Lord requireth the heart and a willing mind, and the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land of Zion in these last days. So being willing in heart and mind and being obe- obedient, this all boils down to being a cheerful giver and not just a cheerful thinker. And note what we learn on this from the Book of Mormon. For behold, God hath said, A man being evil cannot do that which is good, for he offereth a gift, or prayeth unto God, except he shall do it with real intent, it profiteth him nothing. For behold, it is not counted unto him for righteousness. For behold, if a man being evil giveth a gift, he doth it grudgingly. Wherefore, it is counted unto him the same as if he he had retained the gift. Wherefore, it is counted evil before God. President Uchtdorf, when he was in the first presidency, taught, While it is important to have our thoughts inclined toward heaven, we miss the essence of our religion if our hands are not also inclined toward our fellow man. Our spiritual progress is inseparably bound together with the temporal service we give to others. This very hour, there are many members of the church who are suffering. They are hungry, stretched financially, struggling with all manner of physical, emotional, and spiritual distress. They pray with all the energy of their souls for succor, for relief. Please don't think that this is someone else's responsibility. It is mine and it is yours. We are all enlisted in the Lord's plan. There is something everyone can contribute. So the take-home lesson, be a cheerful and generous giver and look for ways you can do this at home in your family. Okay, let's move on to another topic. Now it's the natural tendency for us to compare ourselves with others. There are so many reasons that this is a terrible idea. With Facebook and Instagram and other social media hitting our brain every day, we have the tendency to compare what our perception of everyone else's life is to our own. Some great counsel on comparing is found on the church's website. It says there are billions of people in this world you can compare yourself to. And once you start, you might find it difficult to stop. We've all done it, wishing we were more like her or considering how glad we are not to be like him. Even as we do, we know we are not thinking or acting like Jesus Christ would. It is possible to righteously admire someone, and that's healthy because it motivates us to improve ourselves. However, Being jealous of someone's strengths, ashamed of your own weaknesses, or envying a perfect life you think someone has is purely negative activity. Unhealthy comparisons lead to depression, lack of self-confidence and self-worth, ungratefulness, relishing in the trials of others, resenting yourself and others, wasted time and effort, destroying any motivation to achieve personal goals, and spiritual digression. Too often we worry about what others think of us. We let the views of our family, friends, neighbors, and society determine how we feel about ourselves. Heavenly Father's opinion matters the most because he sees you with clarity. You are a son or daughter of a loving Heavenly Father. 
You are special and glorious in his eyes, and that's how you should determine your self-worth. Paul teaches, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they are measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure but according to the measure of the rule which God has distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Our measuring stick is not others. It's the measure that God has given us individually. What is the measure of our creation? What gifts and talents were we given that can be used to build the kingdom? We see the top of the staircase where we want to be, Weaknesses we want to conquer, strengths we want to develop. Ultimately, we're all trying to be Christ-like in our character. But perhaps this year, our measure is to climb two steps of that staircase and not get discouraged because we aren't at the top. So measure you, not by comparing to others. Measure your own progress toward becoming more like our Savior. Okay, our last topic today. Now, Paul didn't have an easy sit-on-the-couch-and-eat-chocolates life. He describes, Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes save one. In other words, he was whipped with a whip 39 times per beating, and this occurred five times. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep. So three times he was beaten with rods, he was stoned once, three times he was in a shipwreck, and resulting in a, in a night and a day being in the ocean. In journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren. So perils are dangers. So he was in danger because of water robbers, his own countrymen, unbelievers, dangers in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, and with false brethren. He says, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and in thirst and fasting, often in cold and nakedness. So his basic needs often weren't met. He didn't get enough sleep, he was tired, he was in pain, he was hungry, thirsty, cold, didn't have sufficient clothing. And he says, besides those things that are without, so other than that, which cometh upon me daily, there was the care of all the churches. So despite all of this, he had his calling as an apostle to care for all the churches. So how did Paul handle all of this? with great faith. He describes a thorn in the flesh, some sort of problem. Perhaps it was a health problem, but we don't know. And he wanted it removed. He said, and lest I should be exalted above measures, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. This thorn in the flesh humbled him. He was assured that the Savior's grace is enough and that he is made stronger by the weakness. Elder McConkie said, Weaknesses cause men to rely upon the Lord and to seek his grace and goodness. If all men excelled in all things, would any develop the humility and submissiveness essential to salvation? As shown by Paul's life, even the greatest prophets, for their own benefit and schooling, Though strong in spirit are weak in other things, some have physical infirmities, others are denied financial ability, or are lacking in some desirable personality trait, lest any think of themselves more highly than they ought. Okay, challenge questions. High school, we talked about three things today. Cheerful giving, not comparing ourselves to others, and the role of trials in our lives. Of those three, Which did you like the best and why? Middle school. What will you do this week to be a cheerful giver? Elementary school. Why should we be a cheerful giver? And kindergarten. How can you be a cheerful giver this week? So have a great week, everyone. And remember, the Savior has invited us all to come Follow me.